I encourage you, why don't you open your hands to Jesus as a physical sign of a heart orientation. Jesus, we're here for you. Lord, there's no ways we could call Good Friday Good Friday unless we understood what was happening on the day that you died. Because we never say it's good when someone dies, but today, Lord, we thank you that it is Good Friday. And so, Lord, we just invite your presence. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here already, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit as we gather together. And so we, we say we need you, we long for you, we say have your way amongst us. And we pray for every testimony that's going to be shared today. We pray for every word of Scripture. We pray for every song. And we say, Lord, capture our hearts. Lord, be glorious and magnificent in our eyes. We pray that as we leave, we'd worship you more dearly, that we'd love you more deeply, and we'd trust you with the rest of our lives. So say, Lord, we say, be glorified, be magnified. Good morning, Rick Road. Oh, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Give me an amen. 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 Oh, awesome. Um, it is such a privilege to be preaching today, guys. But uh, for those of you that don't know, I am a youth leader and I do like to talk a lot. So I'm going to jump straight into it. Now, I'm sure most of you have heard the term famous last words. And, and there's quite a few famous examples. I'm going to throw some out at you. Maybe you can guess who said these famous last words, right? So, I shall hear in heaven. Anyone? As Beethoven, he said that. He was a famous composer. He was actually deaf. He said on his famous last words, I shall hear in heaven. I die hard, but I'm not afraid to go. It's not Bruce Willis, but it's, <laughs> it's George Washington. This is his famous last words. The captain of the Titanic, I'm sure most of you know, he said, God himself can't sink the ship. And we, I think we all know how that went. So... How about these famous last words from an unknown person? It says, uh, honey, those jeans look a bit tight on you. Some unknown husband, we, we don't know his name, but those are his famous last words. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of meaning most of the time and sentimental value behind a person's last words. Today, we're going to look at probably some of the most famous last words in all of history. And they begin with, Father, forgive them. So, in Luke 23, 34, we've got this picture that's painted for us. It's Jesus on the cross, and he's been tortured and whipped and beaten and mocked and scorned. He's wearing this crown of thorns, and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now, it's not surprising that Jesus was praying in his hour of crisis. He prayed all the time. We, we read that throughout the, throughout the Gospels. But what can be surprising for some of us is that in his last in his last moments, in his last hours, in his last breaths, he prayed for his enemies. So do we start praying for our enemies? When you have deadlines at work, you, God, I bring my boss before you. Lord, I, I pray that he just gives me more work because I'm so responsible. And No, it's something that is so unfamiliar to us. It's, it's so surprising. But this is something that Jesus teaches throughout his life. Now, on his deathbed, on the cross, Jesus models it. In Matthew 5... 43 to 44, Jesus teaches, and he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who prosecute you. Now, on Jesus' deathbed, he was a perfect example of this. He was praying for those that were persecuting him. He was praying for his murderers, those that were killing him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This famous last saying, these famous last words of Jesus, begin with a message of love and grace and mercy. And there's something so significant about this. Because when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, he wasn't just talking about the Romans that were persecuting him. He was talking about me. And he was talking about you. And he was talking about you. And he was talking about you. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That day that Jesus was hanging up on the cross, that's when our sins got forgiven. That's when we had the chance at salvation. Through Christ's crucifixion, we were forgiven. Now, it's so tough in our day-to-day lives with forgiveness. A lot of people battle with forgiveness. I battle with forgiveness. It's tough to, to forgive those that hurt you. But imagine Jesus wearing a crown of thorns, people that were killing him, he still forgave them. Forgiveness is funny, though, because it's not actually about the other person. It's about you. Like, there's a way I like to put it where forgiveness, or unforgiveness, rather, is drinking a bottle of poison and hoping the other person dies. So often we get ourselves caught up in this prison of unforgiveness, and we love to have the last say, and, and, we, and we often want our last words to be revenge, and you can't leave the arguments without having the last say, and, and we want to be on top, and... But no, Jesus, when he was probably very tempted to, to say, just wait and see, you don't know what's going to happen, or I'll show you, imagine the temptation. Jesus said, forgive them. Forgiveness is tough. C.S. Lewis says that forgiveness is great until you have someone to forgive. <laughs> and often it's true. Always want to have that last say. Forgiveness doesn't have to be like that, though. See, we can forgive because Jesus forgave us on that cross. That significance, it's, it's not just about Jesus forgiving his, his persecutors, but through his grace and love and mercy, all of our sins were forgiven, and we have the opportunity for eternal life. Jesus died on that cross for us so that we could be with him in paradise for me, that's the significance of Christ's forgiveness for us. In my life, it means that I'm loved, that I'm saved, I'm a child of God, that my sins have been forgiven. I'm not condemned to sin, but I'm redeemed to salvation. It, it means I'm a child of God. That That's good, because I was actually close to the end anyway. <laughs> for me, that's what Christ's forgiveness is, is that I'm loved and I'm saved, and I'm a child of God. So we're going to go into a short time of reflection now. And you don't have to say the answer out loud or say it to anyone, but just look inside your heart and, and just really think what God means to you. Thanks, Keenan. So just take that time. Let's just be quiet. How has Jesus...
Lord Jesus, we thank you that because you spoke those words from the cross, we not only can be forgiven, Lord, we who've trusted in you have been forgiven. Lord, we thank you that we've also experienced the power of forgiveness. And so, Lord, we can forgive others. Lord, I pray that you'd make us mindful, not just happy to be forgiven, but be willing to do what you say in your word, that we ought to forgive just as we've been forgiven. Jesus, we declare this morning, we want to be like you, that even while you were on the cross purchasing our forgiveness, Lord, you were forgiving the very ones who were taking your life and abusing you. And so, Lord, we say, Lord, make us more like you, we pray. I ask, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room who's never cried out and asked you to forgive them, that today would be the day that they do that first. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to uh, hear a, a, a story of forgiveness, a testimony of forgiveness. I want to invite uh, Philemon and Esther to come up and uh, to share with us about the power of forgiveness in their own life. Let's give them a round of applause as they... So, Philemon, tell us, uh, what is your... Good morning, Recruit. Sanbonan. Yeah, bo. Uh, okay, I'm here. Standing here today, uh, and I'm going to share my story that I'm not proud of, but uh, I feel it's important that I can stand here and share with you all so that you can learn as well from what happened to me. Okay, um, the past four years or so, I've been swimming in a scene or drowning. Uh, to fast forward, uh, while I was still swimming in the scene, it was so bad that um, Esther came to the point where she thought about uh, divorcing me. Uh, while we were in there, and then she decided to cry out to the church elders to see if she can get advices and see how she can deal with the whole situation. And then they helped us. We spoke about everything that was happening. And uh, today, I'm taking a different story. Mm. <laughs> I keep on asking myself, uh, had Esther went to ask advice from her friends, what kind of ad advice she would have had from them? So that taught me that uh, in life, we need to know where to run to for advice or when we're facing challenges, we need to go to the right people to get advice. Because whatever advice you will get and the decision that you make can uh, break everything completely down or save whatever that's happening. So I'm grateful that Esther, she decided to go to the church elders, not to her friends. 
uh, then she, that's where she got the courage to say, okay, if this is the situation, then I need to work on how can I forgive my husband? How can I uh, fix my marriage and carry on and uh, keep on like grinding? It's not a perfect first time. It's not easy. I'm telling her, she was supposed to be the one talking what I'm talking now, but uh, I'm just saying it because uh, she said I can carry on saying it. But it was not easy. It was not easy to forgive just like that. So what I'm saying to you guys is uh, the Bible says, uh, Colossians 3 verse 13, uh, in Christ, uh, God showed or uh, forgave us. And then if you forgive uh, someone who sins against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. So I think that's where Esther got the courage to say, okay, I'm going to forgive him so that her heavenly father can forgive her as well. In whatever situation that we're facing in life, we need to know that uh, it doesn't matter how bad it looks, um, God can still uh, save you, can still help you from your situation. Sometimes it's easy for us to say, okay, this is what this person done is so bad that like, uh, he or she does not deserve any forgiveness. But I'm telling you what, God wants us to forgive each other so that we can also uh, be forgiven. Uh, I would like to say today to you, Esther, thank you very much for that day that you decided to go and seek uh, advice from the church elders. I'm standing here today, or we are standing here today as couples because of you. Jesus has shown us love by forgiving us our sins. This is something that we need to do in everyday life as well. We need to learn to forgive us, uh, those we live with, uh, those who sins against us. Because God loved us that much. Jesus died for us so that we can be redeemed. Uh, yeah, that's all I need to uh, say today. Yeah. Thank you very much, Esther. Yeah. And uh, I'll... I will try my best to work my way to perfection. I'm not there yet, and then, but I'm working on it. Thank you. Oh, bless you guys. Can we pray for you? As you can see, they're having a new Koso coming. And I won't tell you the sex in case, uh, but they told me. But, uh, but yeah, what a, um, thank you guys for being honest and for being vulnerable with us and Esther, we're so proud of you for taking the forgiveness of Jesus on the cross, applying it to your life, and then extending it and bringing life to your marriage. And so let's just close our eyes. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the power of forgiveness. And Lord, we bring the Kosos to you as a whole family. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of this new Koso on the way. And Lord, we want to ask, Lord, would you, as they've 
uh, started this journey of restoration and uh, followed in obedience to forgiveness. Lord, we want to pray, bless them in your mighty name. Amen. And you have to hit cancel okay. if you don't want it to tell us that you got to the end. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, what, a, what a great testimony. I'm holding tears. When you... So happy for the courses to see them where they are this morning. And I'm going to try to attempt the impossible, putting a long message in a span of five minutes, but I'm going to do my best. And uh, our second message this morning is in Luke chapter 23, verse 43. And what happens there is that Jesus Christ is on the cross, as we, as we all know. But both left and right to him are two thieves uh, that are with him that are being hanged as well. They are being condemned to be with Jesus and Jesus, in one of the thieves, he says these words to him. Uh, as you're going to come on the screen in Luke 23, verse 43. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today, please mark that. Truly I say to you, today I will be with you in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. So what's happening here? What's happening here is that we, we in this passage, we see the glimpse and the grace of the mercy of God to a person who's undeserving. Because here's a man that spent all of his life harming others. He was a thief. So he did nothing. At that moment, he was condemned to death. And he did nothing. He was not going to church. He was not following any church, any church rules. He was following nothing. He was just condemned to death because he was a thief. And it happened that day that he was, next to, he was hanged next to Jesus. And Jesus shows this man the glimpse of his mercy, that when he came to him, that when he recognized that he was a sinner, that he had lived his entire life, you know, in a way that was displeasing to God. In those last moments of his breath, he recognized and he received the grace. And they spent a lot of time reminding us that the grace of God is something that we can never end by ourselves. So he spent 11 chapters, Paul, reminding us that this grace is not... Is not it's not by your own. You can't do it by yourself. It's something that was done by God. It's something that is from God. And in this example of this man, we get a glimpse of that. Because here's a man who was condemned. He did nothing. But Jesus Christ extends his grace towards him. And that's the message today. That's the message of Good Friday. That no matter who you are, just like the course was this morning, no matter who you are, doesn't matter the level of your sin, just like that man, the grace of God is freely available to us all. And there is nothing that you can do. You can't earn it. You can't work your way around it. It's something that is freely given. You just have to receive it. And what Paul was saying is that we are incapable because we are sinners. That's what Paul was saying in Romans. We are sinners and we have fallen short of the glory of God. But God, through Jesus on the cross we were able to have peace with him. So through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, God was pleased to accept us through Jesus. Not by what we do, not by, by anything that we'll ever do, only through the Lord Jesus. And Jesus expressed this grace in these words. He says to this man, today I will be with you in paradise. Today, not tomorrow, next week, but today I will be with you in paradise. So Jesus was saying, not next week, but right now. And brothers and sisters, the gift of the grace of God 
is something that is available right now. It's not something that's going to receive next week. It's not something that you're going to get one day. It's something that's available right now. What do you mean right now? I mean right now. Now. No, no, no. It's there. It's available. No matter who you are. No matter what your life is. It's there. God is there. The grace is all around you. You know, I, as I was preparing for this message, I, I felt this sense of agency. Because we, we live in this world that tells us that somehow today is not the best time for everything. I don't know if you ever have that. That somehow today is not the best time. There's always another day. There's always tomorrow. There's always the future. But Jesus said to that man, my grace is now today. And that's the message that I feel. That's the agency that God is bringing today. That his grace is not tomorrow. His grace is not. This, this grace, my, my dear friends, is an abundant. It's, it's free. It's abundant. And is available right now. And the same way that Jesus Christ said to that man, that today I will be with you in paradise. Today Christ wants to be with you. It's not something, as I said to you, think about that today. It's not something of next week. Maybe you're thinking, but my sins, but this, but that. Maybe tomorrow, maybe one day. No, right now. Today Jesus wants to be with you. Right now. As he said to that man, today I will be with you in paradise. And he wants to be with you in paradise. Brothers and sisters, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross was enough. We never need anything to earn the mercy of God. We will never do anything to earn it. We just have to receive it. And the great and amazing news of the gospel is that this man never did anything to earn the grace of God. It was a free gift of salvation. And today is the same thing. This free gift of salvation is available to us all and to all who turn to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a message that God sent me to say to you that today he wants to be with you. That today his grace is available. Don't miss that opportunity. Don't postpone. Don't wait for tomorrow. Today is a day. Amen. So, what we're going to do right now is that we're going to have a moment of reflection. I have one or two questions there. I want us to go in groups of two. Just in these groups of two, just think about those questions. Just what is the glimpse and the mercy of God in this past? Just think about what's the, the mercy, the grace of God. What, what do you feel God communicating to you? And what does it say to you personally? What, what, what this message, what God says to you in this message? Let me so why don't we get in groups of two and let us take some time just to chat over what uh, over those two questions. Let's 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 go. Just just get we stand. I'm gonna say a prayer for us. You know, I know that we can, there's a lot that we can probably talk about, but I want to pray that as Jesus says today, His grace is available. I want to pray that today, if you are here and you have not accepted Jesus, and if you are here, you feel that. Your sins are a stumbling block, my friend. That's a lie. Jesus said to that man, today I will be with you. And Jesus wants to be with you. His grace is available. Why don't you close your eyes right now? Father God, in the name of Jesus, as you said, today I will be with you in paradise. And I know, Father, that for each and every one of us, your grace is not something of tomorrow. Tomorrow is late. It's not something of next week. It's something of right now. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that they may experience your grace today, my Lord. I pray for them in the name of the Father, the Son.
Hallelujah. Won't you take your seats? And I'm going to call Nozipo up, who is going to bring the third of the words of Jesus to us. You know, I think about these. Yes, let's give her a round of applause. I think of these. Guys, there's some great seats over here on this side. If you don't have to stand, we're going to be here till five o'clock. So, no, I'm joking. Um, one of the amazing things about these seven words is they are like seven different angles on the person of Jesus. Pause or cancel when, you, when you're ready. Amen. Uh, morning, church. Um, thank you so much, Gareth. Um, yeah, so we are going to be looking at um, the third word that Jesus spoke. And it says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Excuse me. Um, and so when I, I read this word, I just thought, sure, I can't imagine the, the amount of pain Jesus was in. Um, you know, he'd been, he'd been humiliated, he'd been tortured, um, he'd, he'd been rejected. And so he's on that cross, literally dying, and then he looks down and he sees his mother. And this is the woman who'd conceived him in such a miraculous way, like we know the story of Jesus being born and how he was conceived. You know, this was the woman who'd seen him make wine out of water, like she'd seen so, miracle, so many miracles through Jesus, but now she watches him dying. And so I can't imagine how confusing that was or how terrifying that must have been. Um, and then Jesus looks at his mom and he doesn't you know, ignore her pain or her affliction, like he had every right to. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm sick, I'm not thinking about cooking for other people. Like, <laughs> I, so, I, I mean, if I'm in my deathbed, I am not thinking about others, you know? But Jesus looks at his mom and sees her distress. And so even in his last moments, he doesn't lose sight of God's word. And so that word was, honor your mother and father. And so even in that moment, he is still pursuing God's word. He is still outwardly focused. He's still concerned about those he's been sent to. And so Bible scholars say that by this time, Mary would have been a widow because um, we don't really see Joseph um, in the rest of the passages. And so um, because of Jewish culture, um, Jesus would have been taking care of his mom and so in that moment, he knows the responsibility that he had towards his mom. And so he still honors her. And he says to her, um, here's your son. In his last moments, when he was in so much pain, he doesn't say, I'm here to fulfill my purpose that nullifies every other relationship. No, he still honors his mom. And he's still fulfilling his purpose. And so he instructs John to, to behold his mother. And so we are called to honor our mothers and fathers, but also God has a heart for widows. And so in Jesus instructing John, he was still honoring that word as well. God has a heart for widows, a heart for foreigners, a heart for the orphan child. And, and John responds with a resolute yes to that instruction from Jesus. And so also for us, brothers and sisters, we should respond to Jesus with a resolute yes. 
how do we respond to Jesus? So, like I said, the last thing I want to do is think about other people when I'm, when I'm sick. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so Jesus shows us a different model of how we deal with pain. We don't just face inward and say, I need me time. I need self-care. I need. He says, we see others. And so in the same way that we've been comforted, we comfort others. He does this on the cross. He's not just expecting something of us that he hasn't shown us. And so there's no greater example of comforting someone than Jesus on the cross, thinking about his mom, thinking about John, whilst he was in immense pain. And so the big idea for us to take away, church, is that Jesus is empathetic to our pain. He comforts us so that we may comfort others. And so I'd like for us to just reflect on three questions. Is there something that has held you back from giving your full yes to Jesus? Is there something that maybe you feel like, you know, I still need to deal with this before I really give Jesus my yes? The second question is, what has Jesus instructed you to take care of in your life, in the church, in society, for the glory of his kingdom? Are there widows around you? Are there there things you should be doing in church and serving in certain ways that you know you should be saying yes to, but you're always like, oh, sorry, my weekends are for me, (laughs) you know? Um... Is there something God's put on your heart? And the final reflection, having thought about those things, is how could your heart stance be aligned to receive Jesus' words with a resounding yes? How can you say yes to Jesus today? It's not convenient. Sometimes it's painful. But how do we say yes to Jesus? Just like John did, without thinking, I don't have the budget to look after this woman. He just said yes. So we can. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you sent Jesus for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you showed us on the cross what it means to love the Father fully, but also how to serve others. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning that, Lord, we would, we would just give Jesus our absolute yes, that nothing would hold us back, that nothing would stand in the way of us responding in absolute love and obedience to you, Lord God. And Father, I just pray that even as we leave this um, day, that, Lord, everything we've, we've heard of Jesus speaking today and all that he did on the cross, Lord, may really truly stay with us and that it may transform our lives so that we may be formed into the image of Jesus more and more. Thank you, Nozipo. So wonderful. We're going to hear another testimony now, and so I want to invite Sitabile to come up, and she's going to share a testimony. Good morning, church. Better put you on, hey? 
Um, yeah, it's, it sounds like a mouthful, and I don't feel like I'll do it justice in the time I have, but I'll do my best. Um, when I first started in the church here, it was 2019. And I had been seeing this church just never really wanting to come in. Um, and part of it had been that the past two years of my life before I came here, I had just experienced a whole lot of pain, a whole lot of um, disappointment and just hardships. And I had come to a point where I'm just like, maybe God doesn't love me, you know, just that feeling down on yourself and you don't know what to do. And when I came to here, I think it was greeted me at the door. Um, and I, I felt love and the, the Jesus that was being preached on here was a loving God, a kind God, a God who wants to help carry your burdens. And that, that I had never had a personal relationship of getting to know who Jesus is or how he loves me or how I had just always learned about a, a Jesus, a God who you should serve, whom you should come to perfect and, you know, without mistakes, without sin. And, and it had been such a draining thing trying to rid myself of sinfulness or, you know, like not walking around with guilt that when I came here, it just, it was all heavy on me. So it was lifted off. Just coming here feeling like singing about this God who loves me. Oh my gosh, I started to believe it. There was a song that we used to sing a lot in 2019 about how God leaves the 99 for the one. And I'm like, Lord, I'm that one. You know, you knock down walls for me. You're chasing after me. It's that kind of love. So as soon as I started to believe that, then I leaned into, um, oh, so that was 2019, like Feb. In June, I applied for a job here at the church. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just started here, and I'm like, hey, let's work for the church. Anyway, but that also was, I, th I really think it was God's grace and design for my redemption because um, the church staff, every morning we start the, the day with devotions, like 30-minute devotions. We read the Bible together, and the, like the, the, at the table, the staff, the pastors, Dave and Hanley and... So they talk about, oh, this is what this is saying to me. I had never read the Bible like that. For me, it was just like we're reading verse 1 to 2 of such and such. Okay, this, this is nothing to me. Oh, well. But now I started to like, understand more about God. You're starting to like, learn more about God's character. And I learned so much in that. There's, you know, like scripture is all God-breathed, God-inspired. And it's literally, it's alive. And I can testify to the transformative power of Scripture. Because that's all it was. I got to know Jesus and God for myself. Building your personal relationship with God. Not being told, God doesn't want this. God, now it's from within me. Now I know this is how I please God. This is how I can be obedient to God. This is how I walk with God. So like just listening to Nosia about how um, giving a resounding yes to God, that's the easiest thing. There's never any resistance to doing what God says because I want to please him. He's my father and he loves me. My only response 
is just yes, Lord. And that my life brings him glory. And, um, you know, the, yeah, there's just been, there's, there's been so much, and so much that my, my, my family, some of my family think I'm in like a cult because a lot of, there's been such a, <laughs> there's been such a, a drastic change in how I, I do things and how I, you know, like even my career ambitions, like I had studied all these things, I had all these career goals, and then suddenly I just work for a church. And to them, that's just like, you just, what was the point? You've wasted all this money and all these years, you know? But I, they have, I can't trade the, the joy and fulfillment I get from just knowing I'm serving the Father. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you. <laughs> she had five seconds left, so I think we should pray for her. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful story of life, hope, redemption, and restoration, all in you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for Sitabile. Lord, we pray, Lord, your richest blessing on her as she keeps on giving you her wholehearted yes. And I pray that she would disciple. So, no, I'm speaking twice. So, um, so but yeah, um, I'm doing the fourth word uh, that Jesus spoke from the cross and it's the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's in Mark 15. You know, there are two times in the journey of Jesus, uh, both on the cross and leading to the cross, where Jesus' prayers are not answered. Maybe you've had that experience of feeling like your prayer is not answered. There are two times where the desperate cry of a human being, Jesus, are met with silence from the Father in heaven. And in these two utterly human moments, something is revealed both about who Jesus is, our Savior, but also about what He has done for us. You see, Jesus wasn't just a good man. He is God in the flesh. Jesus is God incarnate. He's the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity. He walked and He talked on earth as a living human being. He was fully God, and yet He was fully human. And in Jesus' approach to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, as a man, fell to the ground. Looking at what was to come, looking at what we know about today, Jesus fell to the ground in utter distress, the Bible says. And from the ground, while He was sweating great drops of blood, the man, Jesus, asked His Father in heaven, is there another way that this can be done? Is there another way that your salvation and mine can be attained? Was there another way that he would not have to be defiled by sin? Was there another way that didn't require him to be clothed with sin so that he would be separated from the Father? Was there another way? And Jesus, as he prayed that prayer from the ground as a man, heard no reply from the Father. Nothing. And there was no reply because there was no other way. You see, for your sin and my sin to be dealt with and to be forgiven, for the wrath of God to be put away, to be propitiated, there was no other way. And there was no other way because God is holy and because God is loving towards us, as we just heard from Sitabile, and God had decided that He wanted to be reconciled to us, but He had to deal with our sin. And so Jesus, the God-man, had to take 
our sin upon Himself. He had to be then pierced and crushed, as Isaiah the prophet said, so that He could be the one who could save us completely from our sin and restore us to right relationship to God. And so shockingly, the man Jesus, when He cried out to the Father, is there any other way? He heard nothing. And then there was a second time when Jesus cried out to the Father, and uh, it was when Jesus was shocked again by the silence of heaven, and it's the fourth word that we're touching on today, when He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Whenever you see that in the Bible, you must highlight it, because I don't believe Jesus just whispered it. I believe He cried it out with passion. You see, in that moment, as Jesus was bearing our sin upon Himself, in fact, the Bible says Jesus didn't just carry your sin. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, Jesus became your sin. He actually became your sin. I wonder whether this is what Jesus had seen in the garden when He fell to the ground, that He had realized that He was going to become sin. The one who'd never sinned was going to become sin of the whole world. And because He became the sin of the whole world, He was going to become abhorrent to God the Father. He was going to become something that God the Father could not look on or be with. The sin that He had become would separate Him from the Father, like Isaiah the prophet said would happen. You see, the desperate cry of Jesus in the garden and the deafening silence of the Father to this prayer was so shocking well then, if that was shocking, there are no more chilling words in all of Scripture than, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You could translate that. Why have you torn me away from you? Or why have you sent me away from you? Or even, why have you abandoned me? And brothers and sisters, this is the real question. Jesus, the all-knowing one, in crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's asking a real question, and he's not asking for information. He's not asking for an explanation. He knew what was happening. He knew what would happen when he became the sin offering for us. When it happened, though, when the Holy Father turned away from him, when this happened, even though Jesus knew what was going to happen, which is why He fell to the ground in the garden. When it happened, it cuts to His heart in the most remarkable way, and He cries out in anguish. It's like knowing if someone dies in my life, I know it will be sad, but then someone does die, and even though you knew it would be sad, it rips your heart out. Bazalwan, in this moment on the cross, in the physical praying over the cross, those nails in Jesus' muscles and the nails that went through the bones in His wrist and in His feet, that pain is overtaken by another pain. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit that had always been together somehow, and this is a mystery, but somehow the Trinity was no longer a Trinity in one sense. Because one member of the Trinity was the sin of the world. Jesus is therefore forsaken for our sin. And He experiences a pain in that moment and a loss that has never been experienced before and will never be experienced again. These words, Bazalwan, remind us what it cost Jesus 
and what it cost the Father and what it cost the Spirit to offer you and me salvation. Jesus didn't just suffer on the cross physically. He suffered emotionally because He was rejected and He was forsaken by the Father and by the Spirit. And the Father said nothing because there was nothing He could say because it was the only way. But this is the good news. Puzzle one, because Jesus was forsaken, I will never be forsaken, and you will never be forsaken if you put your trust in Jesus. And Jesus endured the searing pain of abandonment by the Father so that you would never be abandoned if you put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Can we just pray? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, nothing seems to bring the cross into focus more than these words. And today we just thank you that you were willingly abandoned. Father, thank you for being willing to go through with it. I don't know what it must have cost you in your heart to abandon the Son because of my sin and because of ours. But Jesus, we are so grateful today. Amen. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, there is no better day than today. Don't say, I believe in Jesus. Even the demons believe in Jesus. Have you trusted Jesus? Have you asked Him to become your Lord and Savior? Because if you don't, you will be forsaken for your sin. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 18 says, that if you don't believe in Jesus, you're already condemned. You're already forsaken. But today, you can come out of being forsaken and you can become loved. Just because Jesus was forsaken. Hallelujah. Why don't we take our seats? And Cindy's going to bring the fifth word for us. Sonny Bonani. I will be sharing on the fifth word that Jesus shared while he was hanging on the cross. And he said, I'm thirst. Um, Jesus was fully physical. That's why he said, I'm thirst. Because if it wasn't fully God and fully human, he would not be in thirst. It shows us that this Jesus was fully God and fully man. That's why John 4 verse 14 says, A word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is the word that has to become flesh and make his dwelling among us. And that reveals to us that Jesus was fully God and fully man. In his humanity, each stripes he and you was for a healing. Because he was beaten so that me and you will receive healing. Each blood poured out of his body was to wash our sins away. Our sins was not washed by anything else. But it, it has to be the blood of God. They try today, we cannot have anything else. 
that we hope is going to cleanse us and we hope is going to wash our sins away. If the blood of God of heaven and earth has to wash my sin and your sin away. Today, as I was, I was praying, I really pray that we'll grab this concept that Jesus was real God. That's why we hear he thirst. That is humanity. That was humanity of him, being fully man. And each, each stripes that he received was for you to be healed. He felt the pain. He was beaten so that you and I will get healing. That's why today, that's why while I was preparing for this message, that I'm thirst, it's revealed to us, it's shown to us, that it's not just a prophet, but it was a God. It was really man and really God at the same time. People around him, they miss out. They didn't see. They totally miss out. And my heart is, you and I will never miss out. And maybe feel there's another blood that can wash our sins away. Why the blood of God of heaven did that for us once and for all. Instead of recognizing the king of kings, when he was seeking water, instead of giving him comfort, but they added in his, in his affliction, they added, in, they added in him, which means they miss out. They miss out that the God of heaven was among himself. This is the God that they were killing. Psalm 69 verse 10, 21, so that the scripture will be fulfilled, as John said. He put gold in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst, so that his words will be fulfilled. He will not not fulfill his words because he's God. He was there at the beginning, and this is his word, because the word has to become flesh and dwell among us, and it was fulfilled. Brothers and sisters, Jesus said these words in response of our thirst. Even now, Jesus says to us, I am a living water. He refers to himself as a living water. We know the story in John 4 verse 10, when Jesus was speaking at the woman at the wall. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You will have asked him, and he would give you the living water. He refers to, to himself, even in our today's life, that he is our living water. That if you thirst, you can run to him. He is our living water. Amen. Jesus here is referring to himself as a living water, as he was saying in the woman at the well. The only thing in this life, when you feel like there's nothing else, and I promise you, there will never be anything that will squinch your thirst, it's only him. You can run to anything, but they will not satisfy you. Only him can satisfy your thirst. I don't know where you are, but God, is the only one who is able to, to, to satisfy your thirst. Even today, the offer is standing. Jesus' invitation is say, all of you who are thirsty, come to me. All of you who are thirsty, come to me. Thank you, Lord. I will read as I close 
John 7, verse 37, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Let the one who believes in me drinks. If you believe in him, you will have to drink. He didn't drink the water that was easy to drink. Even on his, on his difficult time on the cross, when he asked for the water, he gets something like sour vinegar wine. And can imagine the guys who just came back from the hike asking for water when you just finished 2,000 Ks. I don't know. Well, how are you guys? <laughs> I don't know. Yes, and then you, you stick it water. It felt like 2,000, but it was 62. 62. <laughs> you hear that? It was 62. And then you, you're looking for water, and I come with vinegar. And I say, there you are. You can have this. Today, I pray, my, my brothers and sisters, that you will not miss out on who God is. That God was not just some prophet. He was a fully man and fully God. That we don't need something to help us and support us. His blood was beaten for us. He, I mean, by he, 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 he was, he, his stripes are for us to be held. And his blood poured out for our sins. That's his humanity. Because he said, I thirst. Amen. We're going to go to the time of refreshing. And I will just ask you to be in twos or threes. Just to look at that questions and chat about it, and I will pray for us. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you that you were fully man and fully God. We thank you, Jesus, that you went on the cross for us. You died on our place. Lord, we really we thank you. We give you honor and, and glory. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I have the joy of sharing the sixth word of Jesus, and it's from John 19, verse 30, and it's the words... It is finished, or tetelestai in Greek. John, who was the disciple who was closest to Jesus, remembered how, he's the one who remembers this, that just before Jesus died, this is what happened. When Jesus had received the sour wine that Cindy spoke about, he said, it is finished. And I want to ask the question, what did Jesus mean? What was the it that was finished? And the thing that came to mind for me when I asked that question was that Jesus' completeness, His work that He had come to do, was completed. It was finished. It was complete. It was full. And when I started to think about what did Jesus complete, what does the words, it is finished, what does that mean? And I thought of at least five things that I want to share with you. Firstly, when he said it was finished, it was because he had fulfilled the law perfectly. He had kept the whole law with no sin, the Bible tells us. Uh, Matthew 5 verse 17 tells us he fulfilled the law. Luke 24 tells us he fulfilled the law. Hebrews 4 tells us that he was without sin. 
Brothers and sisters, what this means for us is that Jesus did what you and I can't do. But why? Why was this so important? Why was it so important that Jesus fulfilled the law? It was so important so that He could be our perfect sacrifice. You see, John, at the start of his gospel, points to Jesus and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, lambs had been killed as a sacrifice for thousands of years in Israel, but no lamb had ever been asked if they were willing to offer their life, and no lamb could ultimately pay for the sin of a human being. A perfect human being had to be the perfect sacrifice, so that as Hebrews says, when Jesus gave His life as the perfect once and for all sacrifice, your sin and my sin was forgiven forever. And no other sacrifice ever has to be made. So Jesus cried out, it is finished. I've done it. I've fulfilled the law so I can be the perfect sacrifice. Secondly, when he cried out, it is finished, Jesus was meaning, I believe, that he had paid the price to redeem us from slavery. What do I mean by that? Well, we, because of our sin, since the fall of Adam and Eve, we've been in slavery to sin, Satan, and death. We, we, you, outside of Jesus, you actually don't have a hope. You are a slave to sin, is what the Bible says. And in, in the culture of that day, you could buy someone's freedom. You could redeem them. You could pay the ransom price. And if you paid the price in full, that person, that slave, was now free, a free person. And when Jesus cried out, it is finished, what he was saying is the full price for the freedom in your life was paid by me. Nothing was left. It's like when you get to the final payment, if you've ever got to the final payment of a bond. I can't quite imagine that final payment moment, can you? Or the final payment of a car maybe, or maybe the final payment of something you shouldn't have bought at the, at the store on credit, and you get to the end and it says, settled in full. Well, when Jesus cried out, it's finished, he was crying out, it has been paid in full. Your freedom has been purchased. Brothers and sisters, so important you know that. Thirdly, when Jesus cried out, it is finished, Jesus said this because he had done what he had come to do. And it says in 1 John 3, 8, that Jesus came to destroy, say destroy, the works of the evil one. He came to smash and destroy and overturn the chaos that had been brought by sin and Satan and sickness and death. He came to destroy that. And so not only was the price of our freedom paid, but when Jesus cried out, it is finished, he wasn't saying, my punishment is finished, my, my, my suffering is finished. What he was crying out was a victory cry, it is finished, I have won. That is what Jesus is crying out. And so, brothers and sisters, we get to live in the good of the victory of Jesus. Fourthly, when Jesus cried out, it is finished, it is because Jesus had come to earth, listen to this, to reveal the invisible God. You see, John says that up to the time of Jesus, God was invisible. He was the God who had never been seen. John 1 verse 18 says, but Jesus is the one who made him known. And when I think about that, what I think about is that Jesus, in coming from heaven to live on earth and take on human flesh, in living amongst us, in becoming a part of those first disciples' lives, in becoming God who could be seen, who could be loved, and who could be loved, people could be loved by Him, 
people could listen to him and even lean on him. John says, I leaned on Jesus. Jesus revealed who the invisible God was. He, he showed us in a human form that we could relate to what God is really like. And even more so, that's how Jesus revealed God by coming. But as the king dying for those who should die for him. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, ultimately what we've got is a revelation of the heart of God. Because as Jesus is hanging on the cross, you've got to ask, why is he on that cross? And he's on that cross because he loves you so much that he was willing to die for you so that you could be forgiven. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, what it tells you is, I am gracious and compassionate. I am slow to anger and I'm abounding in love. And I love sinners enough to die for them. Brothers and sisters, Jesus revealed who God was to us. If you want to know, I want to know what this Christian God is like, just look at Jesus while he's on the cross because that shows you who Jesus is and what God is. And fifthly, as Jesus cried out, it is finished, he was defining the gospel. You see, the gospel is good news. As Jesus shouted out, it is finished, he declared that the gospel is good news. It's not good advice. Of all the things you need to do, maybe you came to church thinking, I need some good advice. The gospel is not good advice. It's not a list of things you have to do. It's the glorious good news of what Jesus has done. That's why he shouted, it's finished. I have done it. I have done it already. You are already accepted by God if you tuck into the it is finished of Jesus. You are forgiven, not because of what you do, but because of what He has done for you. So in closing, I want to make two points of application. What does it mean it is finished for our lives? Firstly, I would say live in the good of what Jesus has done for you. Just turn to the person next to you and say, live in the good of what Jesus has done for you. And you might say, what, is done, what has Jesus done for me? This is it. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin. Because that's what he paid for. When he said it's finished, he paid for your forgiveness. Secondly, live in the freedom you have from sin, Satan, and death. You can live a victorious life, not because you're amazing, but because God's amazing. Live in the victory of what Jesus won for you. Live a life-giving relationship with God, not some dead religion. Live a life-giving relationship with Jesus because He purchased that for you. And believe God's good news and then live your whole life as a response. And in closing, in the extra minute that I was given, follow Jesus. What do I mean by that? The whole purpose, John 4.34, of Jesus' life, this is what He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He said in John 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And on the cross, he said, it's finished. What he was meaning is, I did it all. Jesus' preoccupation in his life was not me, myself, and I, but to complete the will that the Father had sent him to earth to do. And so if you call yourself a Christian, we like to call you a, a follower of Jesus then I want to urge you to follow Jesus by not living for your own little plans, your pursuits, your passions, and your priorities, but to rather give the one precious life that God gave you 
back to God by giving your yes to Jesus. So that one day you could say, I've run the race. I have finished the fight. I have, it is finished. Jesus, take me home. And you'll hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Let's just reflect using these questions. Lord Jesus, this morning we're so grateful that you declared from the cross, I've done it, it's finished, it's complete, never to be done again. Lord, thank you for doing what we could never do. God, I pray that we would follow you, we would imitate you, we would live our lives for the will of you and the Father. We would live in obedience to the Spirit, Lord, and we would do the works you've called us to do so that at the end of our lives, we don't say, oh, if only, but rather we'd be able to say it's finished, like you said. I pray, Lord, we'd live today so that we'd hear those words one day. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I've got the joy of welcoming up Etwas, who's going to bring us a testimony of thanks. Good morning, church. Hey, it was. Uh, I'm here to tell you that uh, waiting is hard. But waiting upon the Lord, even harder. <laughs> <laughs> so We didn't uh, see that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> you know why it is harder to wait upon the Lord? Because uh, it's a process where he's shaping you. You're going through that time where you ask, God, are you still there? You're so quiet. I can't hear you. I can't see you. The more you wait, the more it feels like nothing's happening. That's silence. Things are just complicated from one to next. But during the time, most of us, we run to God. We read the Bible more. You know, we spend that time too because we want to hear. We want to see it's going to come. Today is the day. And that's what we don't realize is that we're being transformed. So I had to wait. I wait, not a day, not a month, years, mm. for questions, suffering, just like Jesus. He suffered. As God, he had power to stop it all. But it is a process for him to be sitting next to the Father. I waited for my papers. And the result wasn't pleasant at all. Then I waited for a job. All doors were closed right in front of me. All hope was just like fading away. But yet, I waited on my knees. I waited upon the Lord. So when the time came, he opened one door. If you remember last year, I was here telling you, I am grateful that I got a job. But I wasn't permanent. So when I thought, this is it, God. Then every year the contract was coming to the end. And I stand again, what's next? They renew the contract. So until it was becoming a bit not good anymore, again, we prayed and wait upon the Lord. 
So today I can testify that. After that waiting, one more thing. When you come out of the waiting, you will see what God was doing during that time. So many of you can really remember that because most of you were with me during that waiting time. But again, what I can add is wait with the right people. Then you will see the difference of waiting on your own and waiting upon the Lord with the right people. So from the first February this year, I've been officially permanent. <laughs> I waited upon the Lord and I waited with so many of you. I'm full of joy and full of testimony. Why am I testifying? Because some of us are still waiting. And some of us are still seeing nothing happening. It's silent. It's painful. But one day you will see what you've become because you waited upon the Lord. Yeah. Don't give up. Uh, thank you so much for that uh, really impactful testimony. I want to pray for you, but I also want to pray for anyone who's waiting. If you're waiting, why don't you just put, you can lay your hand on your own heart. There's something that you're waiting uh, in God for. And I loved what it was encouraged us that actually, because we know God can just speak a word, it's harder. But it's totally appropriate to have our eyes on Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for this testimony from such a wonderful, godly woman. Lord, who life has not been easy, but so many stories of waiting. I know this was just one that she shared. But Lord, I just want to say thank you for the way that you have held her through all of those times. And Lord, that you have shaped her through the waiting. And Lord, how you've brought her into a new and spacious place. And we just want to say thank you, Jesus. Lord, right now we pray for anyone, Lord, who's got their hands on their heart, Lord, and is just waiting on you for something. And Lord, we pray that grace and strength would come to them, Lord, that that they would wait with the right people, that they wouldn't wait on their own, but that they would wait with you on their knees and with Scripture open, and they would receive from your hand, and they would trust your timing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. But it's my joy to welcome up for the seventh and final word, uh, Simisiwe. So come, Simi. Well, I was glad when I came into the house of the Lord and I was told, Brother, you've got more time to preach. <laughs> Good morning, church. Um, our seventh word today, no pressure to me. <laughs> Into your hands I commit my spirit. That's found in the book of Luke 23, verse 46. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Amen. So, as Jesus is laying on the cross, we, we take notice um, of the loud voice, right? Um, he said it in a loud voice. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. He wanted to be heard. He wanted those who were below to hear those final words. Scarcely one would expect from a man about to die but Jesus seemed determined that his final words be heard. His words are firm and confident. But let's examine these three aspects of his seventh word. 
Firstly, it was a word of intimacy. First, Jesus speaks to God with intimacy. His time of complete emptiness expressed by the fourth word, which Gareth preached, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's past. He prays to the Father as he has done throughout his ministry. For Jesus, for Jesus' death is no out-of-control enemy. No matter how bleak the moment was, he knows his Father is present with him now to receive his Spirit in heaven. Secondly, it was a word of trust. Jesus entrusts himself to his Father. Psalm 31, um, verse 5, David says, I entrust my spirit into your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. And we also see um, in the story of Stephen in the Acts, of, Acts 7, verse uh, 59, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. As Jesus lets go of life, Jesus trusts his eternal destiny to his Father's everlasting arms. Lastly, a word of surrender. Finally, Jesus speaks a word of surrender. He gives up his human life. Remember we spoke before that he was, um, he was in the flesh as well. He was both man and spirit as well. Man and God. He gave up his human life to his father who gave it to him 33 years before. In Hebrews 4 verse 12 it reads, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Amen. So the word spirit um, in, the, in, the, in the Greek language is pneuma, which means breathing, breath of life. It can refer to the Holy Spirit but here refers to the personal spirit of Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice, brothers and sisters, was more than a, fresh, a fleshly sacrifice. He gave up his human life and trusted and committed it and committed his spirit to God for us to be redeemed and for us to receive salvation through him so that we can have a relationship with the Father. How wonderful is this God whom we serve? So as we apply this word, uh, brothers and sisters, I just would like to say to you, the Father is present and willing for you to entrust your soul to him for your salvation. Jesus entrusts himself and his spirit to his Father. Thus his salvation was a complete entrusting to the Father. Finally, Jesus speaks a word of surrender. Salvation requires total surrender to Jesus Christ. Amen. So every word that has been spoken to you today is an invitation of love from the Father 
Jesus has showed us that we can trust him. There is no better day to do that than today. Amen. So I'm going to leave you with this last word um, from Scripture, which is in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Amen. Let's just take a moment to, to reflect on the following questions that will be beamed up on the screens. Have you committed your life to Jesus? Is there anything you have withheld from Jesus? Whether it be time, whether it be your finances, whether it be serving, um, whether it be to obedience to his word. Lastly, is there anything you have not fully committed to him? Amen. I'm just going to give you a moment to just lament on those questions and... I will then pray afterwards. Father, we thank you. There is none like you. You are the everlasting and true God. You are the beginning. You are the end. Um, we thank you, Lord, for your great sacrifice through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we have seen, almighty God, and we have heard today the significance and the impact, oh Lord, Heavenly Father, of your immense and great love for us. Mighty God, we come before you, Lord and Father. Um, we bear all that we are, who we are, mighty God and Father, to the throne of glory, and we say thank you, mighty God. Thank you for your great sacrifice. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, on the cross for our sins, so that we may be redeemed, Almighty God, that we may entrust in your power, we may entrust in, in our salvation. Heavenly Father, that we may be redeemed, O oh Lord, Heavenly Father, from the loneliness of the, of the world, Almighty God, Heavenly Father, that, O oh Lord, we may be removed from the condemnation, O oh Lord, Heavenly Father, that is to come, Almighty God, and we pray, Mighty God, Heavenly Father, that we may absolve who we are, that we may entrust and commit our ways to you, and that, O oh Lord, we may choose you today and say, yes, we commit to you, O oh Heavenly Father, there is none like you, Almighty God. We want to sit next to you at the throne of glory in heaven one day. And, O oh Lord, Heavenly Father, we pray for the day. We wait, O oh Lord, Heavenly Father, with great anticipation, with excitement, O oh Lord, Heavenly Father. And we pray that more may come into this wonderful light. We thank you in the mighty and righteous name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.